Welcome to Rehydrate, the season where reading and discussing Becky Chambers' The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, which is book one of the Wayfarer series. This is season two, episode three, Cricket, where we'll be reading Intro to Hermogian Colonial History through the chapter called The Last War. The hosts are all new to this book and series and have only read through this episode's chapters. I'm Jim. Hi, I'm Dan. This is Tim. Hi, this is Amin. And these chapters, as we talked about in the pre-show discussion, it's packed with you know, character development and things like that. But event-wise, there wasn't that much that happened, although there are big events. The Wayfarer got boarded, and in a moment of crisis, Rosemary stepped up, and she sort of saved the day. And then they went to a uh, asteroid where they met some, uh, what would you call them? Secondhand weapons developers or something like that? Anyway, they uh, talked about getting shields from them, but then this huge giant bug mating festival happened and they were trapped. Uh, and then a news flash came through and Rosemary found out her father had been sentenced to life in prison and for selling you know, weapons of mass destruction to the species of violent alien that had just joined the uh, GC. And then uh, she could not hold in her emotions and her secret leaked. All right, what are, what are everyone's thoughts? I think the stuff about the Grum was also pretty interesting in this chapter. They talked about how that species kind of fell from their kind of warlike tendencies and how that kind of mirrors what, what happened to the humans. But the difference is that their planet... They didn't have to leave their planet for whatever reason the humans had to leave their planet. And then the, the descriptions about like the cutters, how the, the biological bullets that go into the, the go into certain species and like tear up organs, like that was interesting. Yeah, there's there's actually um, a Philip K. Dick story about that, about how basically I, I found it interesting in that it's a, a weird kind of weapon. You'd think like something that would just like incinerate everybody or something would be a better thing to develop, but yeah, this is not like the first time this sort of weapon has come up in a science fiction story. Maybe maybe not even the third. But I think like the the difference there was that this weapon was specifically targeted towards specific members of that race because they were saying like, oh, if you hit shoot the wrong person, let's get like a flesh wound, right? Like like a normal bullet, right? But then for specific kinds of people, then they'll have like all that damage and basically you're just dead because of it. And like they talked about how they just euthanize all about people who get it because there's nothing they can really do because you have this little bullet you know eating up all your insides oh that is a good point so, yeah because yeah. like yeah you could you could carpet bomb areas but then you have a lot of collateral damage right and this is like specifically targeted at their enemies yeah you know, and their enemies are just themselves really it's like it seemed like just like a civil war on their planet and it got to the point where they poisoned all the lakes and the you know the, the planet's unlivable and so Dr. Chef and the the rest of them don't even seem to want to continue the species they haven't had like a the new life born and this is like years, right? And so like, there's only like 300, left, 300 of them left. It's sort of like a Ye Wen Jie, right? From the three body problem. Except, I mean, they're not going to explicitly kill the rest of their their species. But yeah, they've, they've actually decided this is this is not worth continuing. It's a good idea for this to just end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think they I think they discussed this before, but it's sort of interesting that the stages of life uh, of the Grum, where 
there I, I think there might be is there an animal like that on earth that changes gender i believe so i, th- I think most alien th- you know like pull from some weird animal on on earth yeah. that, uh, I, i'm forgetting exactly you know anytime uh, an author tends to you know imagine you no know, alien race it's usually pulling on, it's usually pulling from something they read in a biology book or on planet earth about a, yeah. <laughs> or saw on planet earth about a weird animal you know but um I did enjoy the chapter where they get boarded and, uh, you know, in this chapter they're boarded by, you know, like kind of an, an act of piracy by these uh, creatures called uh, Acaracs. I think this is actually, you know, a pretty um, good example of how she, you know, does, you know, the author does like pretty skillfully weave in a little bit of world building and like, uh, and give the aliens a bit of nuance beyond like, like, I think it would have been very easy for these, you know, Acaracs to have been, you know, just, you know, snarling space marauders, but you know, she kind of, you know, when Rosemary kind of steps up and has her time to shine and all that, like, uh, and, and diffuses the situation, like it kind of, you know, explains how uh, the, you know, these Acaracs are actually just, uh, they're actually very reasonable, you know, they're, the, you know, these, these creatures are not, you know, they're just kind of like, uh, kind of desperate, you know, this is kind of a, a uh, act of piracy born out of a bit of, you know, desperation, and that they're actually like very uh, reasonable creatures, and they value the, you know, concepts of balance and fairness, which she, uh, you know, kind of leverages to diffuse the situation. Kind of a good example of how, you know, she both introduces a uh, alien race and does a little, and actually gives them a bit of nuance, um, you know, kind of all in like one chapter or one encounter, I thought. Yeah, that was pretty skillful. Yeah, like explaining, yeah, they're basically, yeah, they used to be what sounds like a fairly peaceful species, but then they ran into, they basically, that didn't work. And sort of uh, sort of a parallel to maybe what happens with the Wayfarer, it's just, well, we can't just trade reasonably here. Uh, we have to introduce violence into this equation in order to survive. But yeah, they still have that deeply embedded in their culture that that was like a certain idea of fairness which you know rosemary is able to take advantage of yeah you know, this scenario kind of pops up in fantasies that you know like the sort of you know marauding pirate you know like type like they're usually just uh completely unreasonable agents of chaos or so rather than actually having a, a justification for what they're yeah. doing or motivation i think it's going to be a recurring theme that there's parallels in star trek that they reminded me of the ferengi in star trek where they're more motivated by money but they use violence as a as a means to get that money sometimes. But you can also bargain with them as part of their their culture. This race reminded me of them. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I wouldn't have made that connection because the Ferengi are are hilarious and uh, <laughs> jovial. <laughs> These guys are. Were they? Well, they they kind of just... changed over time. Like yeah. the you know they the Star Trek universe kind of enhanced their their race to yeah to be more like that. Especially like and when you get to Deep Space Nine in the beginning of like Next Generation, they're kind of just more generic villains but then like they yeah, they get more nuanced later in the series yeah this sort of interesting moment where rosemary establishes herself for as like an important and valuable part of the crew so that later after she reveals her secret there's a compelling reason to keep her around in addition to just like being able to in addition to the reason that you should give people a chance and things like that so do you think if she hadn't done that, then they would have been more upset about her lying about her family history? You know, she had proved herself already by that point. So like they kind of maybe give her the benefit of the doubt. But if they had found that out, like almost immediately after she got on the ship and everyone's still uncertain about her, but they, yeah, what yeah. do you think? Probably. I think this was a kind of necessary bit of like, 
like character development for her and her relationship with the crew you know to me like it, it felt like her like reveal felt like it was a little premature for me initially you know just like maybe not realizing that like you were still fairly relatively early in the book or something even though that you know like they said they you know they've been traveling for months now i kind of felt like you know without this little crisis where she kind of steps up that it would have felt really like premature for her to reveal this to her crew you know because i mean me personally if that was my scene i just I, i'd have no like i felt like she broke down maybe a little too easily I, I was kind of hoping for more honestly i think we'd even like made predictions that maybe her her family had some part in the what was it the expanse where the whole universe is there and like this is i think even less interesting than that you know like she did like her, her father's a bad guy but she had no part of it right like that's it's okay. So I don't, you know, I don't know because he was selling, you know, weapons to like both sides of the conflict with the Taremi, I believe, right? And they're that's where they're headed. So maybe there's more to it. But it seems like she had like no no part in it really. You know, she's like the good person. Like, oh, as soon as I found out, I like I laughed and I sold all my stuff, right? I was hoping for more more from her. Yeah, or a little more fallout from the. I don't know. They're, they're, the crew does seem a little almost, you know too understanding i don't you know um yeah that was my thing with it as well it, the reveal was fine like i think i said last episode it, there was a mystery about rosemary that i totally forgot about so they introduced this thing they they put some intrigue around her and then halfway through the book they have this reveal and then i also think that everything of course we haven't finished the book yet but it feels like so far everything is too neatly wrapped up everyone is very understanding and maybe that's I think I said this in the past as well. This is one of my issues with like the whole found family type of things is they manage conflict a lot differently. Like I don't remember reading about what Corbin's point of view of this was, but everyone else seemed to be cool with it. I think that type of homogeneity in everyone's responses was kind of kind of lazy to be honest. But again, not knowing what's gonna happen the rest of the book, it's that's kinda how I felt so far. Yeah, I, I also wonder if she if she really didn't have anything to do with it. There's a couple things that I think have a chance of being resolved that I wonder about. Like, A, did she really have nothing to do with it? Really have no idea. Or did she turn a blind eye to it? Like, the trope of, like, the clean mob family member. There's, you know, always, well, not always, but in a lot of those stories, there's there's the one guy who is clean, right? So, in a sense, he doesn't have anything to do with it, or she but in another sense, they they know very well what's happening, even if they're not actually, quote, doing stuff. The the other thing I wonder about is what drove, because Rosemary herself doesn't seem to understand why her father would do this, because they were already extremely rich, whether or not there's something else involved in making him do that. Or possibly, why is Rosemary herself not especially morally terrible? You know, maybe maybe there will be answers for, for things like this. I guess this could be like the rich family kind of thing where Rosemary grows up without any contact with her father, except at parties and things like that. Or, or you know, he shields things very well. Um, yeah, there, there's, I think there's a lot of possibilities there that would be interesting. But also maybe, <laughs> maybe she's just like this perfect accidental spawn that, you know, has no characteristics that are similar to her father's. I think it'll definitely come up once they get to the the angry planet <laughs> they're gonna recognize her or something and then you know blame her <laughs> uh, that kind of yeah. thing oh yeah yeah it does um, she does seem like she had some you know something of a you know decent relationship with her father or were close to her because i think she makes comments about how uh like this is not the man i knew or this is not you know you know essentially trying to you know and maybe maybe she's consciously or unconsciously turning a blind eye to it but she seems like she had you know a decent relationship with her father 
But yeah, I mean, as far as like why he did it, at least among humankind, wealthy people who have just fine, you know, and set for life staying in their lane. There's no shortage of rich people like that on, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that is definitely a possibility. He just wanted to do that. Yeah. Just do do evil anyway. You know. Yeah. Like a Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Kind of thing. Right. It, yeah, that's that's a very real like human possibility. But there's there's also the, the possibility that uh, he is somehow coerced into doing it. Or maybe he's actually been, you know, so there's there's a point of view where you think, no, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. It's just the law that's wrong. Right. That's like, you know, the various railroad tycoon, billionaire tech type dudes. Right. We think that way. Usually there's absolutely nothing wrong with what I'm doing. It's just that the law is wrong. So we got to be careful about that. But then there is, I know something is wrong, but I think it's okay for me to do it. That's like, I think Robert Maxwell, the father of Ghislaine Maxwell, if you've heard of her, she was recently caught. The woman who procured underage girls for... Um, Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, Jeffrey Epstein. She she led a life where she was just like this rich heiress until her mid-20s. Uh, and she had no idea how her father got her money, but like, it's like, oh, what a what a great guy he is and stuff like that. Then after his death, they found out about like all sorts of like fraud and theft that he committed. And I think that's an example of that guy knew what he was doing was wrong. He just felt that he was allowed to do it. So it'll be interesting to find out like what, what kind of person that is. And like, yeah, a person like Robert Maxwell will uh, tend to raise a child like Gisley and Mike Maxwell. Whereas Rosemary seems to be pretty nice. I mean, well, there's also a couple, I mean, for me, like outstanding questions to me for about Rosemary as to whether like, like obviously she sort of like got out of Dodge when the heat was coming down on her family or so, you know, but it's, I mean, what about the rest of her family? Did she just kind of like abandon her family? Yeah. Did she leave somebody to hang out to dry? Yeah. Yeah. She leave out the same, you know, could she have, you know, like, you know, diffuse the situation by saying, were, were there things she, she, she could have done by staying and just kind of like owning up to what her father did? You know, it's like what caused, like, I, I think it's still a little unclear as to like the specific cir- circumstance or, you know, relationship that caused her to just kind of, you know, flee or get out of dodge you know and there's definitely um a lot of potential there but like like Amin says there's potential to handle it in a really pat way <laughs> yeah really i would I, I would be so we'll i would see. be disappointed yeah. Yeah. yeah i would be disappointed <laughs> if this was like the end of her you know and then there's just no more conflict for her and i can't imagine that would be you know This is kind of the perfect crew as far as their just social cohesion, but it does seem like there's a little bit of friction between like Ashby's kind of pacifism and the need for weapon. You know, he just wants shields out, whereas obviously like Kizzy and Jenks are much more like we need some weapons. Damn it! Seems like they just think that they're cool more than they actually need them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that too. Yeah. yeah, like oh, check out this big gun we can have, and they're like, oh, let's go, let's go blow a hole in the side of the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I have to wonder, the place where they go to get their shields, right, is an asteroid. And you find um, out... A moon, I think. I think they say it's a moon. Oh, it's a moon. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think they did. Okay. It's a pretty small moon, and it's I guess it's like an unincorporated, ungoverned moon. It seems like we know two groups of inhabitants, right? The guys who set up the scam, the little pay credits to park your scam who they go to to like find like some kind of stabilizers or something like that. And then there's Kizzy's friends, the three siblings who uh, 
have like all the implants, but you know, have a heart of gold and all that stuff. But I guess they, they seem to basically be responsible for their own safety, their own food, things like that. And they can go out and like blow up a cliff if they want, because there's like no one there. I got the impression there's, I mean, it's not just them on that, on that moon, right? It's like probably a bunch of people. Like when they talked about the bugs coming in and they said like, you see all like the domes uh, lighting up. And it seemed like there's a lot more people on that planet besides just those two people. But those are the two people we know about. Okay. Yeah, I feel like it's a sparse, but there is a colony there. And it's there has to be enough you know, people for it to be self-sustaining, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, kind of an outpost thing. And I always wonder about these, like, I don't know if they described the moon or the planet much more beyond, it seems like it's really, like, really barren, but has all of these bugs on it. When these sorts of things come up in, like, sci-fi, I always wonder, like, what the hell sustains these bugs and how do they evolve on something? So it seems like they're the only creature on there. Maybe if you go to, like, the other side of the planet, there's a bunch of wheat or something. <laughs> <laughs> or the, the moon. Yeah, that's that's all. That's very interesting because, like you say, they need masks to breathe there, right? Yeah, except when they're inside their domes. Yeah. But these bugs, these are non-oxygen requiring bugs. They, they unless they were masked, I don't know. I don't know if it was so much because of like lack of oxygen, but I think like the what you would call it is like the dust. Atmosphere fil- you know, is, yeah, the atmosphere okay. is just yeah. Interesting. It's got a lot of floating around in it. Yeah. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that uh, Liu Shishin would be better at writing, probably. We'd hear a lot about the bugs, I bet. <laughs> yeah, we'd get a whole chapter or two on the bugs. and From that perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Their history and society. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not an uncommon story contrivance, but the fact that their year-long journey just happens to have these, you know, planets on the way where a character has a relationship with some people on the planet. Yeah, how many people do they know? Like, everywhere they go, like, oh, yeah, we're old friends. Like, we're a fam. Yeah, we're old friends, yeah. <laughs> and maybe more books are, and stories are like this than I realized, but these last three chapters just felt very episodic. So we had the hijacking chapter, and then we had the cricket chapter, and then we had the history of Dr. Chef's chapter, and it just felt very episodic. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it just seems like each of them are little self-contained things. Just because time is passing, they're getting closer to their main objective but other than that there didn't seem to be a common thread between all of these so the hijacking led to them needing shields and then that led to to the doctor chef revelation obviously but other than i think you could have shuffled these three chapters in any order and probably still kind of would have made sense i mean i do think they kind of need to have rosemary have her moment before her big reveal but yeah yeah otherwise yeah, just kind of rpg side quests in a lot of ways it's a uh, it's very mandalorian if you've seen that. Yeah, video, yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. Or again, Mass Effect. Yeah, it's very gamey, right? Uh, but, you know, it means a uh, comment about them being shuffleable made me look this up. And I, I was wondering, because sometimes science fiction novels are a series of chapters published in various, uh, whatever science fiction magazine will take them. And then later, like strung together as a novel. This is not the case. So that's not why that is. But I did find out that this was Kickstarter. That this first novel was not, it was self-published via Kickstarter. And then no. it is now like, quote, legitimately published, I guess. But yeah, I mean, it is like, it's not unsurprising. Like, I mean, it is very of a piece with just kind of the current trends in you know, sci-fi and that's not a bad thing and all, but like, I mean, Mass Effect itself is very much a pastiche of like what was cool and 
like sci-fi and this very much seems to be something that's you know kind of evolved from that trend yeah what do you guys think of momentum and chapters like this like like Amin brought up that these these are each episodes that could be independent of each other and done in any order do you usually have an expectation throughout a novel that like things are always building well i think it comes back to you know what i've said before i think it's sometimes the expectation of whether you know that this is like a trilogy or a self-contained story you know a single novel changes that i'm not sure if this book had just come out and i had knew nothing about it being part of a longer series or any plans to make it a longer series and i just knew this is a singular novel i would think oh we're kind of midpoint through the book this is a little slow but if i know that this is a series or trilogy or whatever and you're kind of in it for the you know maybe longer haul then like i'm more open to this kind of world building because just my expectation is different it's more like okay i'm gonna kind of getting into this world as opposed to reading this tightly plotted story i think the events of the story aren't as important to the author that is my impression anyway that then the character interactions like that is the more important story that she's trying to tell and the events of the story are just kind of pushes toward like oh, now this event happens. So like, we're going to talk about Ashby's pacifism and this event happens. So we're going to talk about Rosemary's history. So I think like, that's why they maybe feel interchangeable. I don't know that I agree that these these two stories are interchangeable only because like the boarding and attack are directly uh, responsible for them going to that planet and trying to get shields. I mean, maybe they could have figured another reason to go to that planet. She had a cool idea about bugs or whatever. But it's also interesting to me that it's kind of the opposite of a three-body problem in that... The characters are there just to kind of be pieces to drive this big plots of the story for. Like he's more interested in telling like the big um, scientific kind of ideas behind the, the events that happen in the in the story, and the characters is there to kind of drive them forward. So it's kind of a complete opposite, I think. Yeah, I mean, what do you what do you usually expect in a novel? Because it seemed to be a surprise to you. Well, it was it wasn't a surprise. It was a factor of us picking these three chapters to read together, I guess. <laughs> but but I yeah. think I think in any in any story there has to be some variation in the pacing anyway, because otherwise it just gets boring. Just like if you always write with short sentences or you always write with long sentences, it gets boring. So you need to have some variety to add more add more to the story, I guess. So it's true for movies and books and probably video games as well yeah it was pretty it was pretty jarring when he's like reading the letter and all of a sudden like oh we're under attack it's a pretty big shift in tone right <laughs> yeah yeah and then everyone kind of kicks into a different gear we're like oh man we got hit by a weapon like what <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's weird unfortunately because by the time we do this podcast i usually have read the first chapter several days ago and i pretty much only remember the last chapter <laughs> but yeah that that was a big deal right there has been no violence so far and and we've gotten very far into the book so and it was super abrupt too he's like in the middle of reading the letter all of a sudden red alert or whatever they said right like we gotta hit by a weapon but the other thing i noted about these chapters is a lot of the action didn't seem to have a lot of consequence they got boarded they lost some food but they're going to be reimbursed for the ambi that they stole and then ashby gets his jaw broken but he's going to be fine and Rosemary lets everyone know about her secret and everyone's fine with it. So it seemed like there were these things that happened, but they all have short-term consequences, not long-term consequences. So it kind of feels, not to go back to Futurama, but every episode something crazy happens and the next episode starts and it's nothing changed (laughs) at all. It feels, I guess maybe that's what I mean by it feels episodic, that the consequences 
and you're right, Dan. Obviously, they had to go to the to the moon to cricket because they wanted to get shields because they were afraid for their safety or wanted to be more safe. But um, otherwise, it just feels like these things happen and then it doesn't matter anymore once they're done. Yeah, there's not a lot of overarching tension in this book yet. Yeah. Maybe that's what it's about. Maybe it all goes to hell when they get to the angry planet. And again, maybe it's slow because it's a trilogy long story or a series long story that's, you know. But yeah, at this point, it's yeah, it's kind of low stakes and you kind of have to be here for the character moments in the world building. You know, for me, like, you know, that stuff is strong enough that it kind of like, I'm not really you know, complaining about it, you know, yet. Yeah, so that's, that's okay, so I see what you mean, I mean. It seems like everything has been kind of, they're sort of playing in a sandbox in a way, right? Yeah, that's a good it's way just, to say it. Just, you've just started your video game, and, you know, they don't want to destroy you right away. It's not roguelike. So you got uh, hit in the head, and, you know, the amazing medical technology of the day made it so that you have a complete recovery pretty quickly. And you didn't lose any money because you're being bankrolled. And like, yeah, so I, I think there's there's a couple of ways this could go. This could be like this for the, the entire book, which which I kind of doubt. Or or it could just be giving you a taste of like the kinds of things that could happen. I, I don't think this is the kind of book there is, but I do think it is interesting how, especially the medical stuff, you could get hit in the head with a rifle butt and then recover basically the next day and have your jaw stitched together. So you're talking and everything within a day. And that's that's kind of a weird thing about reading science fiction that's set in sort of a of a time of abundance, like the culture books where all human needs are basically taken care of. And like at first when you you read stuff like that, well then what you think what is going to happen? What is how is there any risk in anything? They they usually have to stretch to get that kind of thing. So. Uh, we'll see what that is. I do think this is, you know, at least at this stage from what we've seen, that this is, you know, the author is consciously writing something of a utopian future. Not perfect, obviously, but more utopian than your usual thing, you know, where it's like obvious. I mean, just by the fact that we have like these several alien races who all can commiserate and be kind of part of this multicultural society is in itself compared to human societies we knew you know know now is fairly utopian and may, again maybe the maybe the whole thrust of this story is maybe all of that going to hell or they're transitioning from a you know utopian to going into something that is very not utopian but yeah i mean i think this is a, a consciously somewhat more utopian you know i mean it's not like a like 75 percent utopian yeah something <laughs> right. yeah and like speaking of like that kind of harmony it's kind of jumped out at me that when the you know Akaroks hijacked their ship and they made their demands, one of the things they said was, we need tech. Just give us tech for our ship. And they were like, okay, here you go. Here are some materials that you just have and it'll, it'll help your ship. We'll just put it on your ship. There'll be some jiggering or something like that, but it'll just work. And in some ways, that's also very utopian, that the motivation comes about in this this universe to build fairly compatible technology no no one is motivated to say well this this only works on apple ships and we'll, we'll only these apple ships will be only charged on apple planets and, and things like that but it would be sort of interesting if somebody wrote some science fiction story where there's just a jillion competing technologies so you score yourself something but now 
you've got to like download some extra drivers and <laughs> do all this yeah. crazy crap and, and it still doesn't work. And <laughs> that sounds like a fascinating novel, Jim. I want to read about some of the drivers. <laughs> It'd be like 90% like log dumps. <laughs> just <laughs> Especially among like different races of ships, right? Like this whole separate alien culture, like all oh, the tech happens to work. Uh, yeah, on their ship too. Like yeah, that's they, they all they share it. And yeah, there's there's no point at which they're like, all right, we'll, we'll give you this, but it's gonna go in this black box, and if you trigger this, it's just gonna stop working. You know, yeah. that's how countries do it on Earth when they're sharing technology with each other. Right. Uh, right. And speaking of tech, we have to give an award to to Dan for being correct. <laughs> so, so Jenks did go decide to go ahead with getting a body for lovey yeah creepy yeah. jinx corner yeah he's sort of interesting in that he he has defied both of our well i mean there's two main interpretations of him in this podcast right creepy guy who wants an ai girlfriend and then you know a guy who like knows how to talk to people and you know has other interests and things like that he's sort of defied both types right there's a tech stereotype like a you know a real technology obsessed nerd stereotype that is actually more like some blend of Jenks and like Corbin, right? So he's not that, but he is still going to go ahead with having an AI girlfriend. Do you think this could work out? <laughs> As another note, this exact thing ha also happens in Mass Effect. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it also like, like, do they also have like the you know how it's like really frowned upon in society and there's like laws against having bodies for ai does that does that also happen no no um, it's just sort of the quirk of one of the character you know it's just kind of like his like sort of he's sort of the pilot of your ship and he's uh you know well in, th in this way he's like kind of he's like um you know like disabled in a sense you know but yeah but yeah it's just like the ai of your ship you know, because he's just on the ship all the time and is the pilot of your ship. He just kind of forms a relationship with it. And in the third game, she gets a body. Yeah. It's also Bender falling in love with yeah. the ship. And like, yeah. I think in uh solo, doesn't Lando fall in love with the, the AI or something? Yeah. There's a lot of that. <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> he's not falling in love with it, but like, it's definitely more than just friendship. And then like the Android. Oh, or whatever, man, whatever what? Lando, you think he'd be the last guy who was yeah, to that. I know. He's just so bored with, like, you know, all the, all the physical ladies. Yeah, yeah I know. He's, he, yeah, he's just pretty much had his way yeah, with every race imaginable. So. Do you think we would look upon this more favorably if Jenks decided, I'm going to get rid of my body, and I myself am going to become an AI, if that was possible? I think if there wasn't the romantic undertone of it all, you know? If he just, like, wants to be... If it was, like... Yeah, he wants to be friends with AI or wants to be colleagues or really respects that. So it also reminds... Okay, I'm going to pull up Star Trek again. <laughs> There's an episode of Star Trek where Geordi goes on the holodeck to try to solve a problem. And then he ends up like, uh, you know, getting like the person who built the Enterprise... Or one of the people who built like the... Not the Enterprise, but like the, the warp core of... The, she's like a leading scientist. And he eventually like ends up falling in love with her. And then he meets her in real life and she gets really creeped out about it naturally because it's really creepy. So it reminds me of that too nerdy tech guys falling in love with ai because yeah they have no other prospects and maybe like jenks's shortness is also like you know makes him he had like self-conscious about it right so yeah i don't know it seems too stereotypical to be interesting and too creepy to really it, it kind of overrides his character but like ugh. i yeah i will bet further and maybe this time i'll be wrong again that 
he's not going to let it sit as a simple thing. Like, oh, well, now he has an AI girlfriend and everything is fine. Like, not even Star Trek could do that, right? So, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen here. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, there's like, I'm hoping there's like big consequences to it, right? That it doesn't turn out well, right, for him because it's a super creepy thing to do. Like, and I think given the nature that this book is more recent, there's a better chance of that. Like, if this book was written in the 50s or something, like, probably just end up well. Like, oh yeah, like no, he just has a girlfriend who's in it, who happens to be a computer, but hopefully not. Or what I would like to see, and I, again, I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't think this will happen, is there are negative implications to the ship itself because Lovey's no longer running the ship. So True, and there's also there's also a lot of talk about how it's illegal, and Ashby does not like illegal things on his ship, right? So there could be like really negative consequences to the ship itself for him doing it, and Ashby maybe allowing it because maybe he is considering his friendship of the crew over the actual law, right? Yeah, there, I mean, there could be a super cruel thing where they, they get all the way there and then, like, you know, this is discovered. Maybe all the legal stuff is discovered. Roseberry, Lovey, yeah. any other legal things they do along the way, and then, you know, they don't get the job or the money. Maybe they, like, load up on weapons eventually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a long journey. <laughs> yeah. So far, I would suspect that they'll just shrug it away anyway and everyone will be fine with whatever happens. Because they care about Jinx. Well, they don't care about their own character development. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. If if they're okay with like you know one of the crew members having a mass murderer father, you know, it's responsible for mass murder for selling weapons, then having you know a guy having an AI girlfriend is probably like, ah, all right. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think there will be. Yeah, I I think you're right, and the the crew will probably just be like, well, except for except for Corbin. Uh, I think the crew will just be like, oh, sure, whatever. But I, I think there will probably be consequences and it, it will be a costly thing. You know, while we're we're predicting things, I bet you they won't all make it all the way there. He's talking about like how he's willing to be kicked off the ship for this and all that. So yeah. Oh, and we, we never even talked about how, how the, the whole crew now knows about the Wayne, right? Like that was kind of a secret thing between... Yeah. Uh, Ohan and, and Ashby, and I think Dr. Chef knew about it as well, but now everyone knows about it. Yeah, what I thought about was interesting was Ohan is still immersed enough in the immediate physical world in three dimensions that he, he was actually concerned about being kidnapped by the Akarax. It's not like, well, I'll just do the same things I do with cool equations just over there or something like that. And then they talked about how he wants to like be with people now after that, after the incident. Yeah. He's still concerned, even though he knows he's dying, and even though there's he knows there's a greater world out there than the 3D world. He's still concerned about being connected to various other living beings and not dying. Well, thanks for listening. Please join us next time for episode four, Kedrium, where we will be reading Kedrium to Hatch Feather House. That those three words are one title chapter of The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers.